Hello, everyone, and welcome to postseason chirps, which is not something we anticipated saying uh, this time about a month and a half ago, a month ago, even maybe three weeks. I'm not even sure we were convinced at that point. And yet here we are after a September that we will not likely forget anytime soon. Tara and Alex back with you. Thanks for jumping in to listen to us talk about this wild card game that is coming up later today. That's right. We were recording this first thing Wednesday morning. And, you know, we don't know much more today than we did yesterday in terms of rosters or lineups or things of that nature. But we do know Adam Wainwright, Max Scherzer set to face off in L.A. in a one game wild card play in elimination game. However you want to think of it, Alex, it's it's one and done for somebody. (laughs) Tara, I am so excited for this game. Now, that doesn't mean when the game actually begins, it will meet my level of excitement and it could be a dud one way or the other. But it's hard to beat this feeling, especially with the pitching matchup. The Just this, I, it, it's rare you go in the playoffs and you're like, you know what, even if they lose, I think I'll be able to handle it pretty well. But that's how I kind of feel right now. Uh, the Cardinals have very little to lose. Um, I, I think a lot of fans, a lot of people are pretty happy they're just here. Now, that doesn't mean, <laughs> you know, we're not going to be disappointed if they do, in fact, lose this game. But they're not a team that just won 106 games. They're a team that, as you said three weeks ago, we didn't think we would perhaps be in this spot. So this feels like they have very little to lose, unlike the Dodgers, who feel like they have a lot to lose, um, even though they have not lost barely any games at all this year. And uh, I will say, though, is it sort of worrying you that a lot of people seem to be picking the Cardinals? Or is that just my biased feed around me? I think, first of all, I think that we're quite often used to national folks not picking the Cardinals. So to see anyone on the Cardinals bandwagon feels a little strange. I also think there's some recency bias that, yes, the Dodgers have been good, but they've also been good all season and the Cardinals have been good all of a sudden. So there are a lot of people saying, "Okay, well, hold on. Maybe the momentum is real and it'll carry them past, uh, you know, a team that's won 106 games. It is strange to see how many people are picking the Cardinals at this point. But, you know, hopefully that's just the they're all riding the same excitement that we are, (laughs) not some sort of uh canceling out of the the Cardinals devil magic Um, for what it's worth. You know, we talked a lot this season about just being pretty uninterested in this team. Uh, I woke up this morning and put on my 2011 playoffs sweatshirt and initially grabbed a blue coffee mug off the shelf and very, very intentionally switched it to the red one. Uh, that felt safer um, in a day that the Cardinals were going to be taking on the Dodgers. Not that, you know, we're superstitious or anything, but Maybe a little. Uh, well, if I can jump in real quick, I was uh, uh, taking my kids to school this morning on my new cargo bike, which I called the uh, Dork Dad Ride. Um, <laughs> and halfway there, I realized I'm wearing Dodger Blue shorts. Now, I do have a Cardinals. I had a Cardinals hat in my bag okay. that I put on as soon as I got to school to walk them up to the door. And but I'm 
I, I'm like you. I'm a mess when it comes to things that absolutely <laughs> do not matter. Um, up to and including my question I asked you earlier, which doesn't worry you that all these people are picking the Cardinals, as if that matters, as if that has any impact on the actual game itself. It <laughs> That's doesn't. what we do, though. That's what we do, though. Yeah. You know, and, and I guess my point in noting those little things is that early in the season, it was kind of like, meh. Uh, you know, it's fine, whatever. If I watch a game, great. If not, and now I'm like, oh, not only do I need to watch the game, I also need to be wearing the appropriate clothing and drinking out of the appropriate coffee mug uh, because clearly all of that matters when it comes down to, to game time tonight. And I think some of that is just postseason baseball. Some of it is the fact that it, it felt like we weren't going to get this chance. So you kind of want to enjoy it and and maybe, you know, any little thing, any little thing that might uh, that might help just in the, the cosmos of baseball you gotta you gotta be there you gotta be there for the guys what how did tyler how tyler o'neill say it that one's got to get out for the boys or something (laughs) like that i know everyone's (laughs) doing their part but i want everyone out there to know i'm watching the game tonight with the same guy i watched game five of the 2000 nlds carpenter versus holiday game so i'm doing what i can there you go everyone else out there do what you can um and we'll try and see this one through we appreciate it that effort from everyone if you're doing anything uh, that's probably weird but also glorious ahead of this game feel free to let us know on twitter as you're listening through this show in preparation for tonight's matchup of two teams that i was just telling alex before we jumped on to record (laughs) i was reading Derek gould's article this morning shout out to Derek gould always one to uh bring out some notes that maybe we had all forgotten like the fact that i forgot that the cardinals played at dodger stadium last the week everything fell apart (laughs) the week they went from first place to almost not ever a chance that they make the playoffs um they lost jack flaherty they lost kk they lost carlos martinez they lost harrison bader all those things happened in the week that they last played in la and also just a fun note as you mentioned alex the dodgers have not lost much they haven't lost at home since August. So, you know, that's fun to, to go into and try to, to spoil that party, I guess. But it's postseason baseball. Nothing really carries over for the most part, especially in a one-game scenario. Alex, we've seen this for a number of years now. The two wild cards, two wild card teams, I should say, the one-game elimination game, play-in game, however you want to think about it, um... Do you like it? I do. And I'm not just saying that because the Cardinals happen to fall on the end of the spectrum of a team <laughs> that kind of slipped, not slipped in, but we're the last team to get in. And the Dodgers, meanwhile, won 106 games. Uh, but I've, I've liked it since they introduced it um, because of the emphasis it puts on the division. And I understand the argument that, look, the Dodgers won 106 games and the Braves didn't even win 90. And the Braves, um, even though Vegas odds will tell you otherwise, the Braves, at least as of right now, have probably a preferable route to the World Series than the Dodgers. The Dodgers had to play a one-and-done game, and then they have to play a team that won 107 games. Um, And to that, I say, win your division. Uh, There's a reason why you play 78 games, almost half your schedule, against the four other teams in your division. Or what did I say? 78, 76 games, I guess. Um, whatever it is, it's a lot of games. Win your division. And this idea that everything has to work out perfectly from a competitive, balanced standpoint 
in sports, it, it's just not going to be that way. Teams are always going to have different schedules. Teams are always going to have like all sorts of different things going on. You have to beat the teams you play the most. And so when your division, I, I mean, I would much rather have this system than a balanced schedule or as balanced schedule as you can get across the board. Whereas Seattle, a team like the Mariners has to play the Red Sox as many times as they have to play the A's. Do you know what I mean? Like this works out well for teams not having to try, not having to be flying all over a very large country, um, (laughs) you know, in the interest of a balanced schedule. Whereas look, these are the four teams you have to beat. And if you beat these four teams, then you get, a preferable slot in the playoffs. If you don't beat those four teams, there's still good news. You still have a chance to not only make the playoffs, but also advance in those playoffs. And yeah, I understand the Dodgers won 106 games and the Giants won 107 games. You know what I find interesting is, you know why they both won 107 games and 106 games respectively? is because of the other team. They were. I, I absolutely believe they were pushing each other knowing like we really need to win this division. We need to yeah. win every game we can because we don't want to be in that one and done game against a team that is currently winning 17 in a row. And that's exciting to me. I think that made the last couple of weeks of baseball, particularly in the NL West, that much better than it would have been knowing like, look, these two teams have a five, six game lead on the rest of the National League. They're going to be the top two seeds, blah, blah, blah. It doesn't really matter. Maybe one of them wants to play this team more than that team. But for the most part, they're going to be resting their starters so they have guys ready to go when the playoffs you know, begin. I don't find that nearly as exciting as what we just saw. I think that's great. And I'm sorry, Dodgers. You could have beat, you, you, played the, you played the Giants 19 times. Um, you could have beaten them a couple more times, and you didn't. And hats off to the Giants, who, again, somehow won 107 games. It's unbelievable. It's I believe the most games won by a National League team since the 86 Mets squad, which is one of the greatest, most legendary teams of our lifetime or or of, or of my lifetime, I, I, should, I should say. Well, it's it's wild to me, just as a parenthetical, um, you know, as much as people didn't know what to make of the Cardinals this season, people don't really know what to make of the Giants this season either. When you look at that team and go, I'm sorry, they did what? Uh, it doesn't make a lot of sense in just sort of a logical sort of way. And then you watch them play and you're like, huh. Uh, okay sure but anyway back to the cardinals and to the wild card system you know when this when they first added the second wild card i I didn't love the one game scenario and i still it still bothers me at times the one game part of it just because um you know it's so different than anything else in baseball and you have to manage it differently you have to strategize differently and i don't know that that's necessarily a bad thing on its own, but it just was such a stark contrast to these longer series in the playoffs that have always been the determining factor for these sorts of things. So initially I was a little, I was a little thrown off by the one game thing, but I do think, I do think it creates a lot of excitement around how you finish in the, the division standings and how you close out <laughs> like the Cardinals have. And then of course that one game situation, um, it's. I find I enjoy it. I enjoy that part of it more when I don't have a vested interest in the outcome. It's a little more fun to enjoy the chaos when I don't really care who uh, who comes out on the other side of it. But it does add some 
sort of instant excitement that isn't always there in those long series for baseball because there's always another game. There's always tomorrow or whatever it might be. So I've grown to appreciate it more than I did initially. And again, not just because the Cardinals have sort of found themselves in the postseason a couple of times because of it, um, but because I think there is a level of excitement that is created at the end of the season, especially, I mean, the end of this regular season kind of fizzled out in a lot of ways, but there was the potential for a lot of chaos and a lot of who's going where and who has to play 163 to get to this, to get to that. Um, The scenarios that could have happened on the last day of the season, because there was that second spot available, uh, was really fascinating as a baseball fan. I was trying to watch every game all at the same time. And that part of it, I, I feel like, you know, maybe there was still some of that in seasons where there was a, a, a rare instance that the one wild card spot up for grabs was so close between teams. But it, it felt like it was, it has felt like there's a lot more of that in the last, you know, few years since they added that second team because there are so many more teams that are close enough to feel like they're still in the mix and really to, to mathematically still be in the mix till the very last day. So that part of it, I like um, the part where you're a fan of a team that won 106 games that might get bounced in the first round probably doesn't feel great, but again, you know, win the division and you don't have to worry about that. I think there is something too, though, to winning that one game scenario and then feeling like you can take on anybody because you survived that. So who knows? Who knows what happens in these one game things? I will say the American League wildcard game last night was not that interesting. <laughs> it was uh, pretty anticlimactic as well in uh, ways that I didn't really expect it to be. I, I took away a few pointers. One, uh, something you mentioned earlier that, you know, the regular season doesn't ca- typically carry over into this. And we just saw that, right? Like a couple, how long ago was it that the Yankees went into Fenway and swept them in four games? Uh, was that less than two weeks ago? Uh, I, it it yeah. sure seems like it was, it was pretty seems recent. Like it, yeah. Um, so th- that goes to your point. I'll also say, and it ended up not mattering, obviously, but Boone made the right call pulling Garrett Cole in what I believe was the third inning. Um, up to that point, it kind of looked like it uh, saved the game for him. And who knows, it may have had that Aaron Judge play at the plate gone differently and they have runners on first and third and one out instead of runners on second with two outs. Um, who knows how that game unfolds from there. Uh I bring this up, obviously, because, and this has been talked about a lot, almost to the point of, like, we're expecting Adam Wainwright to have a bad start. But that's exactly how Schilt needs to manage the game tonight. Uh, You can't leave Adam Wainwright out there to lose the game. And I'll say what I said a week ago. That's not a disrespect to Adam Wainwright. That's a respect for this style of, you know, one game. Well, and and honestly, I I see it as a a respect level to the rest of the team as well, right? You can't leave Adam Wainwright out there to struggle through a start that he where he just doesn't have it, not as a a condemnation of Adam Wainwright, but just the reality of the situation when the rest of the team has done everything that they've done to get to this point as well. As much as we can exalt Adam Wainwright for everything he's done this season, you know, 
he didn't get them to the postseason all on his own. He kind of helped keep them alive so that they had that chance. Uh, but a lot of other things had to go right for this team to be in this position. And and I, I see it, you know, a decision like that in the postseason is so much less about an individual and so much more about the team. And I think that's how Schilt has to, to think about it and how Adam Wainwright has to think about it. Not that I want him thinking about, <laughs> you know, not pitching well, but... Uh, Nonetheless, if that were to happen, and I think it's look, we've all seen so many things go wrong for this team. We're kind of just hedging our bets <laughs> on what is it that could go wrong, um, which is funny that that's where we're talking with Adam Wainwright, because I asked you before we started recording, I want to know what scenario worries you the most. Is it a short Adam Wainwright start? Is it Tyler O'Neill and Paul Goldschmidt suddenly hitting like they did in June, which is not at all? Is it, uh, you know, handing a late game lead to the bullpen and then watching through your fingers to hope they don't blow it like they did early in the season. Which part of this one game, winner go home, Adam Wainwright on the mound, the season in the rearview mirror worries you the most as far as this is where it could go wrong very quickly? Well, what worries me the most versus what will be the most agonizing are two different things. <laughs> Fair and enough. Both could both have potential to not be good. What worries me the most, obviously, is a similar start to game five for the 2012 NLDS, um, where Wainwright gives up, what, six runs in the first two innings. And then I have to turn to the guy next to me and say, all right, we just got to start chipping away, uh, you know. Um, and even if I'm not even if only half my heart's in that when I'm saying it and I know we're doomed. Uh, obviously, that turned out to be a case where we were not doomed. I don't know if you saw Wainwright's interview yesterday. He mentioned um, the few times he's pitched poorly in the playoffs. The Cardinals have managed to win those games. And he's he's pitched well plenty of times in games that they have lost, games that we have uh, uh, spoken of recently, I believe. So that's what worries me the most. Uh Getting down big to a early to a team, a juggernaut team like the Dodgers with or without Max Muncy. Um, what's going to be the most agonizing? But this is a good thing. This is what you know. This is what we ask for. This is what we want. Is one of those one run, two run, late game leads with the with our with the ball in the hands of our bullpen and you are pacing around your living room you are thinking to yourself why why am i why do i even follow this sport this is feels like torture to me um that would be the most agonizing uh but again that is fun that that is what we signed up for that's what we want in fact not only do we want that we want that a bunch of times we want that Throughout this month of October, we want to, by the time November rolls around, to be like sleep-deprived zombies um, because we've had to endure several games like that, you know, games that are going well past midnight and and all of that. So what worries me the most is a bad early Wainwright start. Um, but what is going to be the most agonizing is the exact opposite, is a close game uh, with uh a, a Carpenter Holiday like game, a a Jeff Supon versus was it Oliver Perez? Doesn't quite have the same ring to it, does it? The Jeff <laughs> Supon versus Oliver Perez uh, game seven of the 2006 NLCS. But you know exactly what I'm talking about. Um, one is way more stressful, um, but the payoff is is obviously there. Whereas the other one is just like, okay, this 
this is this is not good and and, and it's hard to envision a, a comeback against the you know that nationals team in 2012 was very good but this dodgers team kind of feels like on a whole nother level and it's just hard to envision if we get down early to this team that that they're going to be able to pull a win out of their hat on the other hand this cardinal team of the last three weeks four weeks has shown that they can do that they will score late runs they can score a lot of runs so who knows? It goes back to what you said earlier. It's one game. Nothing from the regular season really carries over. Um, it doesn't matter that the Dodgers have won 15 in a row at home, or it doesn't really matter. It doesn't matter that the Yankees swept the Red Sox in Fenway a couple weeks ago. It's one game. Um, hopefully we get one of those starts from Scherzer where he seems to almost be overthrowing the ball and is a, has a, you know some command issues, and we get some free runners on base. That would be kind of the good scenario for the Cardinals. Obviously, the best scenario for the Cardinals is uh, similar to uh, Game 5 of the 2019 uh, NLDS, where we just happen to score 10 runs in the first inning, and then we can just relax for the next couple of hours and celebrate. But hopefully not then never score runs again. Yes, that, yes, yes. That, I, I prefer, that part wasn't yeah, great. <laughs> no, no, it wasn't. Yeah, the early deficit is definitely, I think, the most deflating uh, up until I guess maybe blowing it in the ninth inning, that, that might be the the most deflating overall. But it is hard when you know you're so you're so amped up for the game, and then all of a sudden you've got that that early deficit to to deal with. But I do feel like you know it's my struggle with what to expect from this team, this Cardinals team, is trying to balance seventeen game winning streak, amazing September with five months of. <laughs> whatever else happened this year and trying to figure out, okay, we, we waited a long time to say, maybe this team really is just average. Maybe that's just who they are. And then all of a sudden, you know, they're not, and and there's all this hype and there's all this uh, suggestion that they're going to go deep in the playoffs and all these things. That's great. It's fun. I, I'm enjoying it, but how to maybe the most realistically analyze this team. I don't really know <laughs> because it's the shortest of sample sizes. Um, that's such a complete contrast from what we saw earlier. So I think for me, one of the things that does worry me is not that Adam Wainwright's going to do anything particularly different than he's done all season. Um, we've seen the bullpen sort of stabilize, although the last couple games of the season were, were questionable, but who really cares? Um, but the, the offense doing what it has done, the lineup hitting the way that it has from, you know, I mentioned Tyler O'Neill and Paul Goldschmidt, Nolan Arnato, Harrison Bader, some moments from Tommy Edmond, although the numbers don't really bear that out as much as kind of anecdotally, it feels like Tommy Edmond has been involved in some of those things. Um, but nonetheless, to see the, the offensive firepower that this team created for itself, uh, really from probably August and September combined, but mostly show showcasing it in September. If that just goes away all of a sudden, <laughs> uh, that's going to make for a long night against, against this Dodgers team, particularly with the pitching that they do have. So not to be entirely pessimistic, but you know, you got to look for where the pitfalls might be <laughs> to know how to brace yourself for those moments. That said, this team does have a lot going for it. And we have seen them play very well when, uh, you know, 
all the odds seemed stacked against them when they hadn't been playing well up until that point. It does feel like a very different team going into LA this time than we've seen really throughout the rest of the summer. Is that enough to make you feel like, uh, okay, they have a good shot at this game or is it just sort of the crapshoot of the wildcard game? That's like, I don't know. Anybody could win. (laughs) Well, certainly anyone can win even before like it, I believe I brought this up last week. Let's say the Cardinals made this game, but didn't have this sort of run and that they just kind of backed in with like 80, 85 wins. Um, I don't even know how many games did the Reds, Reds end up winning. Um, oh, 84. I don't know. I, I don't even know because I, I, it stopped mattering, right? Like, <laughs> yeah. like a while ago. So, but anyway, let's say the Cardinals backed into this game with like 84, 85 wins. I would still feel like, you know, going into this game, yeah, sure, they can win. You know, anyone can win one game. Uh, put the Orioles in there and you never know. Uh, hey, they beat the the Yankees a couple times in the last week. <laughs> right, so. right. And that ended up mattering, um, <laughs> I guess, because, the, you know, the Yankees had to go to Fenway instead of right. playing, playing yeah. at home. Um, but I feel as though this team obviously is not – exactly the team that just won 17 games in a row and batted whatever they did with runners in scoring position. But I feel as though this team more resembles that than they did for whatever reason, the first five months, I think this is a good team. I really do. Whereas had they backed in and they, they didn't kind of show this last run, I would have been like, okay, they're okay. Um, but, but they don't belong on the same stage as, uh, these other teams, whereas I feel as though the Cardinals do now. I, I legit believe that they are a good team, and it's mostly because of the offense. Like, this offense yeah. all of a sudden seems, and not all of a sudden, but for the last month has felt like a pretty potent offense. If, if Harrison Bader is hitting uh, even just slightly above average, he's always seemed like a very valuable player because of his defense. If he's hitting beyond that, then, then he seems like a, a very valuable player, especially when you can put him next to Tyler O'Neill and Paul Goldschmidt and all that. Terry, you know how many times you've heard me say like, well, it's not so much that Harrison Bader is, is, is bad. It's just that we're not flanking him with really good, you know, you know what I mean? Or, or, you know, such mm-hmm. and such, we'd be able to hide his bat if we had good bats elsewhere. Uh, yeah. We have those good bats elsewhere now, or at least we, we have during the last month of the season. And once you have that, this offense looks completely transformed. So, that doesn't mean we won't lose eight nothing tonight. That doesn't mean it's not going to feel like I keep like rattling off these games of postseason past. But like, do you remember Game Six of the 2013 World Series where I think we got down, we got down somewhat big, pretty early, like five nothing, somewhat early, and then you just kind of hoped to have a rally somewhere here and there, but yeah. it just never felt like it was happening. I remember Alan Craig had a really hard hit ball with like runners on second and third or bases loaded, or I forget what the scenario was that just happened to find a glove. And that's when I was like, okay, you know what? This, this game in this series is over. Um, That could happen tonight and it won't negate what I still believe about this team, which is that they are a very good team. Yeah. Yeah. I I feel like this is a good moment to um, acknowledge something that I've been tagged in a number of times on Twitter because years back, if you recall, when at the trade deadline, there were rumors about Zach Wheeler. The Cardinals did not make the trade. Mm -hmm. Reportedly, it was an outfielder that they were looking for a single Harrison Bader, Tyler O'Neill, somebody else. 
And at the time, because of the need of the team, I basically said, that's it. Now, if you recall at the time, neither Harrison Bader or Tyler O'Neill were particularly impressive. And now that they're both playing well, I am hearing a lot from the people who are saying, oh, really? Oh, really? You would have traded one of them for Zach Wheeler that year? Now, to be to be clear, even in that moment, it was entirely moment-driven, right? The Cardinals were very close to a playoff spot that year. They needed pitching, and the other guys in that mix were not really a part of the mix as far as pushing them forward and giving them success. Um, we've seen them trade off a, num- a number of other outfielders uh, that maybe they could have used, and yet this is the first season where we've really seen the Tyler O'Neill and Harrison Bader that were, you know, the reason the Cardinals wanted to hold on to them in particular. So look, there's a reason that I'm not in the front office and I just talk behind a microphone. Um, There's also something to the fact that that was a different season with a different scenario with different needs. We talked about how the Brewers this year were really quick to make decisions to make this year's team better. And the Cardinals don't really do that. So yes, everyone who's listening in the moment of that season, I wanted pitching even at the expense of one of the outfielders that maybe someday could have become something. Hindsight, always better than in the moment. But all that to say, look, I think it's fantastic that both Tyler O'Neill and Harrison Bader are having the the second halves, really, that they have had this year because they do change the dynamic of this team. They are players that have offensive and defensive ability that can change the dynamic of a game. And to have them both playing at levels we haven't seen from them before is really special. I think for Tyler O'Neill, we talked early before the season even started, maybe he just needs a whole season where he doesn't have to worry about Am I in or am I out? And it seems like that has helped him. Harrison Bader, though, as much as we, you know, everyone wants to kind of throw shade at me from that comment several years ago, Harrison Bader today is a very different player than Harrison Bader was then. And he has even said as much. So the the maturity and the growth and the process that he's gone through to get to where he is today has been really incredible to watch. And look, I've, I will readily admit I've been hesitant to buy in to the offensive juggernaut version of Harrison Bader because in the past we've seen it in flashes we've seen it like two weeks at a time and then he goes two months without really being effective if this is who Harrison Bader is man the Cardinals won all the things by keeping him around Um, but if this is who he is right now then Look, the Cardinals won all the things because they have him right now when they need this version of Harrison Bader. Well, I must say, I don't remember what my takes were on the Harrison Bader slash Zach <laughs> Wheeler uh, discourse at the time, if I even had any takes. So I'm not going to uh, say anything at the risk of uh, me being completely full of crap. If you look <laughs> at my old tweets, I am curious, how hot were you coming in at, in 2000? Uh, 18 or whenever that was with with those Harrison Bader takes uh, that people are now coming circling back to you the and, tweet uh, the tweet people keep finding and, what, and, and how, many are, how many people are circling back to you or, or is it just like two annoying un- annoying people it's happened probably every couple of weeks for the last season oh, no. someone finds it and tags me in it and it's like what about now what about now ah, um, the man. hottest the every hottest time Harrison take... Bader does something good now I'm, I'm yeah. gonna do that um, the hottest take. I gotta find. Was, send me this tweet just okay. so I can, uh, yeah, start. When somebody, it. somebody in the St. Louis media reported, um, 
basically all the all the asking price for Zach Wheeler was either Harrison Bader or Tyler O'Neill, and they didn't do it. And I think my my scorching hot take was that's it, <laughs> because at the time, yeah, neither of them were helping the major league team. Anyway, and at the time we had Dexter Fowler, we had. Right. Uh, Lane Thomas, which still seemed like he could be a, a valuable, uh, potentially a valuable prospect. Yeah. Um, so I, you know. <laughs> uh, nonetheless, look, I get it. And and the thing about the whole conversation around that time is that I never really felt like Zach Wheeler was, you know, this savior of the team. It was just like, he's a guy that can pitch <laughs> and we don't have those. So maybe you should get some. <laughs> Um, again, scorching hot, hot takes there on, on Zach Wheeler versus Harrison Bader. But nonetheless, yes, I am glad that this version of Harrison Bader exists for the St. Louis Cardinals this season. If you did not read the Harrison Bader article from the Players Tribune, um, it was great. I, I'm always curious how those things actually get written. Um, how Me much too. of that was from Harrison Bader's actual brain and how much of it was his conversation with someone that then they turned into that beautiful article. Either way, um, the thoughts and comments from Harrison Bader about the end of the season and coming into the wild card game were pretty spot on. And, you know, it, it gave us a little bit of a peek into what's gone on in the clubhouse and how they're thinking about this game in that, you know, they feel like they're not the same team that they were. Adam Wainwright, again, reiterated that they played some really terrible baseball most of the year, but that's not the team that they are right now. So, Alex, all of that into consideration uh, with my giant um, aside of the Harrison Bader, Tyler O'Neill, Zach Wheeler debacle. Um, how do you feel about the Cardinals in this game? I feel great. I, I, I think they're going to win five to three. I like it. That was a, a much more <laughs> uh, confident and uh, readily available prediction than than I was uh, prepared for. But no, I like it. But before um, we get to your prediction, can I say one more thing in defense of the wild card game? Yes. Uh, because you just brought up the the Brewers, I believe, and it made me think of this. Um, I think if the Cardinals, I think there's a chance right now the Cardinals are a better team than the Brewers, and not just because yep. they're banged up on the pitching side. However, the Brewers were the better team from beginning to end. Absolutely. Um, if the Cardinals wanted to not have to play the Do- uh, 106 win team Dodgers, <laughs> 106 win Dodger team in this game, then they could have played better be- in June and July. But they did not. The Brewers did. Um, it also probably helped that the Brewers had a really, really good second baseman, um, if you've heard of him. Uh, who, who knows? I've heard maybe, rumors. Yeah. Maybe if the Cardinals had had this player, they could have uh, you know, swapped places in the standings with the Brewers. Yeah. Be that yeah. as it may, back to my original point, if the Cardinals didn't want to have to play the Dodgers, if they wanted to be in the Brewers' position, which is a very good position to be in, uh, even though I think the Cardinals right now might be a might be a team I would pick in a long series um, if they were playing the Bre- if they were playing the Brewers, then the Cardinals could have played better in June and July, but they did not. Now, to their credit, they figured something out and and went on a streak that none of us thought was even imaginable, and are now in the conversation, are now in the playoffs, and that's awesome. But hats off to the Brewers; they still won the division. And so because of that, the victor goes to spoils. They don't have to play this Dodgers team. And, and so all the credit goes to them right there. And so 
we always talk about how a 162 game season is a grind and, and why, like, even though that's so many games, the games matter and, mm-hmm. and, and nothing yeah. illustrates that more in my opinion than this one, this sort of winner takes all one game. It, it, it to me kind of almost preserves the uh, in- integrity of the regular season. I, I, if that makes sense. And so that's another reason why I'm kind of glad this game exists. It rewards teams that were playing well months ago when like Mm -hmm. games that we can barely even remember now, you know, and those games count just as much as games one in September do. Yeah. Well, and I I like how you said that because, you know, often as we talked at the beginning, even the the national media, the the hype sort of gets wrapped up around the momentum of the teams who pour it on at the end. Um, But there's got to be some benefit to, winning 100 games, right? Winning enough games that you have a double-digit lead in the division most of the summer. Like, it mm-hmm. wasn't even close no. in the in the NL Central because of how the Brewers played, because of how their organization went about making those changes when they needed to, and obviously because of their superstar second baseman. But that's a story <laughs> for another day. Um, <laughs> no, you're right, though. And and look, I think I think there is something to the idea that the Cardinals might be the better team right now. I think this is a Cardinals team that better reflects who we thought they were going to be. I think that when we talked at the beginning of the year about sort of best case scenario with this team, this is a lot like what we thought the offense would look like, maybe sort of with the added bonus of a Harrison Bader, right? Maybe Harrison Bader kind of fills in where Tommy Edmonds sort of trails off, you know, however you want to look at that. Um, the the pitching side of things doesn't look anything like we thought it would, but it has leveled out and, you know, for whatever uh, strife and whatever angst we had about the trade deadline, uh, those guys have been fine. Uh, I don't know that they're lighting the world on fire, but they've been fine. They they solidified the the needs that were there. They became the arms that didn't exist anywhere else in the organization, and, and they've been fine. So uh, to go from this team has no business being in the same conversation as playoff teams to... I actually think they're better than a number of the teams that that did make the playoffs as they exist right now. It's pretty remarkable and it's pretty cool. And I think it's part of what makes tonight so exciting. As far as my predictions, I hate making predictions because I am by nature a skeptic. (laughs) So I will always lean in favor of uh, I'm going to prepare myself for the worst so that then I can appreciate what happens if it works out well. Um, that said, I do think that the Cardinals look, I, I will say it this way. Maybe this is a cop out as far as making a, a real prediction, but I will say, I think the Cardinals have as good of a chance to win this game as the Dodgers do, which doesn't sound like I'm saying anything except three weeks ago. I said this team had no business being in a postseason conversation. And now I think they have just as much of a chance to win a game against Max Scherzer and the, a Dodgers lineup that was built for this, that won 106 games as the Dodgers have against the Cardinals who have gone through all that they've gone through this year. So um, I, I don't know that I have a, a score prediction for you unless I just make one up, Ma- which is what we up. all do anyway. Um, so because I have to, and it's a Cardinals podcast, <laughs> I'm going to say, I'm going to say the Cardinals pull it off, but I'm going to say it gets a little hairy and it's like a, it's like a six, five biting your nails close one at the end. All right, so I said five to three Cardinals win. You said six to five Cardinals win. Both of those will are very good options, but two options that will 
give me a lot of stress, but I will, I will take it. <laughs> All the anxiety. Yes. Uh, there is no other way for the 2021 Cardinals, I, I don't think. Um, if I wanted to be more specific, I would probably say the Cardinals give up three runs early, come back and take the lead, uh, and and it, they have a 6-3 lead, and then they give up two runs late no, to make no, it close, if we really want to be specific. <laughs> it can happen a lot um, of ways. Yeah, yeah. All right. If you have predictions while you're listening to this this morning uh, as you prepare for tonight's game, feel free to let us know those as well. So two things that we're asking of you. Let us know your weird, uh, superstitious, but totally not superstitious and very normal things that you're doing today <laughs> to help the Cardinals potentially win. And two, what is your prediction for tonight's matchup between the Dodgers and the Cardinals, who have a storied postseason past that we didn't even get into today, but perhaps this is another another chapter in the classic saga of Dodgers Cardinals postseason baseball. Alex, it is a postseason show, but that does not mean we can skip over the chirp of the week. We can never skip over the chirp of the week. But what you just said reminded me of something. You know, the the four teams in the wild card game have a combined. 54 World Series titles. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, with the, it helps to have the Yankees in there with 27, half of those, but still, the, with the Red Sox, Cardinals, Dodgers, you can make the case those are the four most, like, uh, I don't know, successful franchises, you know, in all baseball. Although it's hard not to glue the Giants in there with all the pennants they've won, but, you know, still pretty. Well, and cool. then if you look at, if you look at the side of the bracket that the Cardinals are on, I mean, it's definitely the tougher, definitely the tougher path uh, when you're dealing with in any arrangement, Cardinals, sure. Dodgers, Giants, uh, uh, compared yeah. to the the path for the uh, Brewers and the yeah. uh, Atlanta Braves. <laughs> yeah, if the Cardinals somehow manage to win the World Series, I think we can safely say they've earned this one. Yes. <laughs> they can beat the Dodgers <laughs> than the Giants. But uh, all right, chirp of the week. So Mike Shannon, of course, signed off on Sunday from. Uh, uh, announced his last, at least regular season game. I, I should know this. I assume he, I don't know what his schedule is for if there are home postseason games, but um, he is, this is, whatever the case, his last season as an announcer. And yeah. like many of you, I have a special place uh, in my heart for Mike Shannon. Um, I went to the 2011 World Series, and the day game six was rained out, my friend and I, same friend who I'm watching the game with tonight, same friend who I watched game five with that NLDS uh, with, um, he and I were just walking around kind of a crummy, a cloudy day, and we happened to walk by uh, this vendor who was selling like World Series baseballs in front of Mike Shannon's restaurant. So, you know, we're walking around the stadium and stuff, and we strolled by Shannon's restaurant. And he said, ah, oh, you should have been here 10 minutes earlier. Mike Shannon was out here holding court with a bunch of people. And, and I bet no one no one quite holds court like Mike Shannon. Oh, I'm you know, sure. I, yeah. I think anytime he's talking, he is holding court. Uh, <laughs> and I remember thinking, like, gosh, I wish we had, you know, just happened to have been here earlier. But that would have been so cool. But the next, the next day when game six actually did happen, uh, my friend and I celebrated, you know, the aftermath at Mike Shannon's restaurant, which which of course is no longer there for very ridiculous reasons that it's almost, I'd almost like forgotten that happened because it seemed so <laughs> ridiculous at the time that this, 
uh, person who means so much to the franchise is restaurants being like forced out and they weren't even like letting them buy, sell it for like a fair market. I don't know. It's, it was a mess and it's still incredible that it happened, but whatever the case, uh, celebrating game six at Mike Shannon's is a, is a wonderful memory of mine. And so I thought I just wanted to talk a little bit about Mike Shannon. First, I'm going to turn to uh, this book, uh, the men and moments that made the St. Louis Cardinals, the big 50 uh, by Ben Hockman. Because it includes four just kind of hilarious quotes from Mike Shannon. Mike Shannon has more than four hilarious quotes to his name, probably 4,000, so if not more than that. <laughs> but I want to read off a few that are in here. Um, one, I just want to tell everyone a happy Easter and happy Hanukkah. Apparently, Mike Shannon said that once. Uh, <laughs> back in the day when I played, a pitcher had three pitches, a fastball, a curveball, a slider, a changeup, and a good sinker pitch. Three. Three pitches. Three. Three, three pitches. <laughs> uh, the Yankees and Mets are playing tonight at Shea. After four innings, New York leads three to two. That's a good one. And he tried to sneak that fastball by Roland. That's like trying to sneak the sun past the rooster. That's a great <laughs> expression that I hope he made up on the fly because that's a wonderful, wonderful expression. But lastly, I want to read something from great Twitter follow Retro Simba, who if you ever want to read about um, basically anytime I want to read, like when, when Red passed away, I immediately went to like Retro Simba's Twitter account and tried to find uh, something that he had written about Red because his archives are almost endless and uh, full of basically every single Cardinal who ever walked, um, you know, on the yeah. face of the earth. So you'll always find something. And I just want to read um, an article from uh, June 3rd, 2018 by Retro Simba by excuse me retro simba on twitter um and of course he has the retrosimba.com uh website uh thomas michael shannon called mike was born in st louis on july 15th 1939 his father tom was a police officer who earned a law degree and became a prosecuting attorney for the city of st louis mike shannon was a multi-sport athlete at christian brothers college high school in st louis he was a quarterback on the football team and his running back was dick musial son of the cardinals stan musial I did not know that. I bet others did, but I did not know that. In 1957, Shannon accepted a football scholarship to the University of Missouri from head coach Frank Broyles. At that time, freshmen weren't eligible to play for the varsity. After the 1957 season, Broyles left Missouri for Arkansas and Dan Devine replaced him. Shannon played quarterback in Missouri's intra-squad spring game in April 1958 and threw a 23-yard touchdown pass. Dan Devine had big plans for Shannon in his sophomore season. When Shannon returned home to St. Louis for the summer, he joined a baseball team in the Ban Johnson League for top amateurs. The hometown Cardinals were well aware of Shannon since high school since his high school days and kept track of him. On June 8, 1958, a part-time Cardinals scout, George Hasser, watched Shannon in a game at Heeman Park in St. Louis and filed a glowing report to full-time Cardinals scout Joe Monahan. The next night, Monahan, Hasser, and Cardinals farm director Walt Shannon, no relation, Went to, Mike, went to see Mike Shannon play in a game at Scott Air Base. He worked out for the Cardinals at Bush Stadium on June 10th, and the next day, Shannon signed a $50,000 contract with the team. Years later, Shannon told the Post-Dispatch, back then, there wasn't any money in football. If there would have been, I would have stayed with football. I enjoyed it at Mizzou. I would have played three years there. I think I had a lot more ability as a football player than a baseball player. Before the deal was announced, Bing Devine called Missouri Athletic Director Don Farrow to inform him Cheryl would, wouldn't be returning to school. I told Don that I know Missouri can't score touchdowns with our expressions of regret, 
but baseball is our business, Devine told the Post-Dispatch. Missouri athletic staff were stung by baseball's abilities to lure athletes away from the school before their eligibility expired. Shannon was the second football player to leave Missouri and sign with the baseball Cardinals in 1958. Running back Charlie James was the other. Also, soon after Shannon turned pro, Missouri basketball player Sonny Siebert signed a baseball contract with Cleveland. Dan Divide said Shannon had the greatest potential of any back we had on our squad. He showed me more ability in the spring than any kid I've ever worked with. Potentially one of the greatest. Dan Devine and Bing Devine were not related, but Dan referred to Cousin Bing when talking to Missouri Booster Groups about how the Cardinals wooed Shannon. St. Louis broadcaster Jay Rudolph said years later he asked Frank Broyles about Shannon, and the coach replied, if he had stayed in school, he may have won the Heisman Trophy as college football's best player, the Post-Dispatch reported. Shannon, who, who turned 19 the month after signing with the Cardinals, was assigned to their Class D minor league team in Albany, in Albany Georgia in June 1958 and batted 322 with 54 RBIs in 62 games as an outfielder. In February 1959, Shannon married Judith and they began a family. Shannon spent four more seasons in the minor leagues until getting promoted to the Cardinals in September 1962. He was an outfielder and third baseman for them until a key kidney ailment caused him to quit playing in August 1970. In 21 games and three World Series with the Cardinals, Shannon produced 19 hits, including three home runs. In 1972, Shannon began a successful second career as Cardinals broadcaster. And there you go. So we always think of Mike Shannon as like this lovable uh, uncle or grandfather or whatever, but we forget that he was also once an elite athlete and not yeah. just at baseball. He was apparently a really good football player too. And I, I don't have much else to say other than hats off to Mike Shannon. I'm certainly going to miss him. I know you're going to miss him. I know all of Cardinals people are going to miss him who listen to him on the radio and that the radio will never quite be the same without him. And that's a uh, he has a wonderful legacy and he had a wonderful career and good for Mike Shannon. Yeah. Yeah. It'll be interesting to see how much he is around and part of things without kind of the professional got to do my job part of it, too, because he does seem like somebody it, the, the football side of that is so interesting because he seems like such a baseball guy. <laughs> he seems because, you know, for so long, that's that's how we've known Mike Shannon. Right. Um, so it's uh, it's a little strange to to kind of think, oh, no, he's just like, actually, he's just a really good sports guy. <laughs> he just knows sports. He was good at sports. He likes talking about sports. Um, but I have to imagine he'll be around in, in some capacity, however much he wants to be. And, um, you know, the press box is named after him now. The radio booth, I, I should say, is named after him now. So I feel like that just gives you uh, free access all the time. Whenever you want to just show up, um, say hi, jump on the radio, who knows. But yeah, what a career in so many different capacities. And what I mean, not only does he have stories about other players, but there are lots of stories about him that we uh, that we don't know or, or forget. So thanks for sharing that. You're welcome. All right. It's and time. May I say go Cardinals? Yes, absolutely. Go Cardinals. Enjoy whatever you can tonight, despite the anxiety and the stress. Uh, I hope we all get to share in another conversation about a postseason um, series and then we can break things down a little bit more there but 
whatever happens tonight. Thank you all for listening along with us throughout this season. I know it's been a grind to say the least, but it's also been a lot of fun in the last month or so sharing this with you, Alex, and sharing this with everyone listening to the podcast and chiming in on Twitter. So thanks for listening. Enjoy the game tonight and go Cardinals. <laughs>